All right, we are starting a brand new series of, of uh, talks today that um, we uh, wrapped up our, our Standing Strong in Our Faith series, our firm foundation and fortifying our, our, um, our faith. And so today we're going to take the book of Ephesians and we're just going to walk through it. Uh, my hope and goal is that we'll be done in, in seven to eight weeks, but uh, we, who knows? Um, but we, we want to take the scriptures and let the scriptures speak to us today. And here's my challenge as we go through this. I would love, first of all, that you'd bring an actual physical Bible to church. Uh, bring your Bible. I want you to mark it up. I want you to circle things, highlight things. I want you to have some bookmarks and so you can mark some things. I would love if you would do that. And then I just want to challenge you to read the chapters that we discuss. And so today we'll talk about Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we won't get through the whole chapter today, uh, but I would love for you to read Ephesians chapter 1 this week. Maybe even as a family that you would do that. You'd gather around the table and read this word and, uh, and just be chewing and meditating on that word all week. So that's, that's my challenge uh, to you. And so if you would, if you'll go ahead and take your Bibles out and go to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to pray before we get started. Uh, we're just going to uh, take this in bite-sized pieces, some of it a verse or two at a time. And so uh, as you find your place in Ephesians chapter 1, let me pray. And then we'll dive in with verse 1. Father, we thank you for this word that is alive. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it pierces me, God, straight to the core of who I am. And so, Father, I'm thankful that it's not just another book. That to the world, to the physical realm, it might be. But this is God's words. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that these are your very words. It is alive. And so, Father, we now not operate in the kingdom of this world, but in the kingdom of heaven. And we let this word come alive, come alive in our hearts. And so, Father, open our hearts, our minds, speak to us today. We thank you for this word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Can you say amen today? Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. This is Paul. He starts the letter off. He says, Paul, that should let you know who it is. Before you read all six chapters, before you read this long letter, he's like, I want to let you know who I am. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pause right there. That's his introduction. He's starting off setting the scene, so to speak. And I love that he says in his address who he's speaking to. He says, to the saints or to the church, we've kind of made that uh, word saint really holy and like only a select few of Christians are saints, but if you're a follower of Christ today, you're a saint. And so he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and also in Christ. You're in Ephesus and you're also in Christ. And it reminds me of what we talked about last week with uh, there being worldviews. And, and there's a biblical worldview and there's a secular worldview and, and these two different worldviews or kingdoms, if you will, they're always operating differently than the other. And there, there's a tension there. And, and the tension even as believers is how do we live in this world but not be of this world? And how do we uh, not give in to the cultural ways and let that shape us and form us? And, and I think Paul is, 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 uh, is helping us see something that, that you can be in Ephesus, but you can also be in Christ. And I think for us, the, the relevant content of that would be is that, yes, I'm in America, but I'm also in Christ. And I think that there, we should understand that and see the difference there because so often we can be more American than we are Christian. 
Uh-oh. Okay, so, so Paul's saying, you're, you're in Ephesus, but you're also in Christ. And so he's, he's, he's showing us this tension, and he, and he sets the book up like this. And so this long letter that we divide over six chapters, he's one, from the gate. I'm talking to the church that's in Ephesus, but you're also faithful to Christ Jesus. You're in Christ. And so that's what he's, that's what he's doing. He's starting this book off like that. And now Ephesus, let me just set the scene so we know the setting of this whole book. Ephesus was a pretty uh, pagan, wild city, um, full of occult practices and mysticism and superstition and all kinds of things. Um, the city was known for a center temple. It's the largest temple to this day to a pagan god. It's actually one of the, the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, the city was all focused around the worship to the pagan goddess Artemis, or some people call it Diana. But it was the pagan goddess Artemis. And Artemis was all about the superstition and, and, and magic stuff and all this kind of stuff. And, and one of the ways that they would worship that pagan god was through prostitution. And so it was, the, it was a very uh, big income-driven thing through this where the, where the temple workers would go out into the streets and, and generate income this way. And so uh, it was a uh, very perverse, very anti-Christian, against Judaism kind of setting there. It was, it was very worldly. And so uh, being very worldly and then being a believer in all that, uh, you need some encouragement, some strength, some equipping. And that's what Paul's doing. We're going to see throughout this book that, that he's going through these chapters and, and, and he is trying to equip the saints. He's trying to teach them who they are, make sure that they know their identity in Christ. And so it's a very hostile environment, a very worldly environment, and, and there's, there's believers there. And now Paul, when he's writing this, He's not just living his life all glorious. He's not just, you know, sitting at the beach and, and, and thinking about these persecuted Christians. No, no, Paul is in prison in Rome at the time. So he's in prison in Rome, and his main desire, as you see, we, we have what we call the prison epistles, where, where you've got all these books where he's writing from Rome. His concern was not himself. He wasn't writing to the church to, to bail me out or, or put some money on my books. It was, I, I am concerned about you and your faith. And, and so he, you see Paul's heart here. And Paul understood that, that, it, that they had to remain in Christ, that they had to be strengthened in order to not cave to the culture of that time. And so that's why he's writing this. And, and, and I think that it's, it's uh, worth noting that there was a lot of persecution against Christians during that time. And so day by day, the city was getting darker and darker, and so it intensified the persecutions against the church. And I think that we, like Ephesus, can compare our world that we live in today. There's nothing new under the sun. History just repeats itself, and it's very easy for us to draw uh, uh, similarities from what we're reading in the text of how our world is getting darker day by day. And I think that like Paul was reminding the church, I think God would use Paul to remind us today that, that though the world that we live in might be getting darker day by day, that's not to incite fear in us, that we should not be afraid of that. The, the Bible actually told us that it was going to happen, that this would happen. And so I think that God would like for us to see today that as the world gets darker, your light shines brighter, that our light is best seen in the darkness. 
And so that we don't have to bow down, we don't have to cave or, or put our light behind us, that no, it can shine bright in that darkness, and that we can stand firm in the face of any adversity that we face. And so we are the church. So Paul's writing to the church, and our light is going to overcome that darkness. And so also I think it's worth noting that Paul actually encountered the church at Ephesus back in Acts. Acts chapter 19, you can write that in your notes so you can go back and read the story. Paul, on his missionary journey, we get to Acts 19, and he comes to Ephesus, seeing that it's a wild city. It says that he found some disciples there. And so we don't know all the details, but we do know the first words out of his mouth. He must have seen them, seen what they were doing, maybe how they were acting, uh, maybe how they were doing church. And the first interaction he has with them is, hey, do you have the Holy Spirit? Like, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Like, I don't know what they were doing. We could speculate there. But, but whatever they were doing, maybe to Paul was like, these guys, they don't have the Holy Spirit. And so Paul sent, spends two years there, and it just, it just brings revival as the Holy Spirit's poured out in that, in that uh, culture there and in that city, totally transforming them. You see, I, I believe that they were religious because he found disciples there. He knew they were disciples, but yet they lacked a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so they were religious people, but they had no relationship. And it's easy to draw that conclusion because Jesus would also mention the church at Ephesus. In the book of Revelation, he would mention them as one of the seven churches that he addresses. And his concern with them, he says, oh, you guys did a lot of good things. There was a lot of things that you did right. But here's my concern, Jesus says. He says, you've forsaken your first love. You've forsaken that relationship, that intimacy. And so we see this letter from Paul inserted in between those two experiences when he first met them in Acts chapter 19 and realized they don't have an intimate relationship with Christ. And then Jesus addresses it in Revelation. So there must have been some kind of issue with them in the church in general where they, where they were good at doing religious things, but they, la- they lacked a personal relationship with Christ. And so as we go throughout this letter, I want you to notice How many times Paul will say things like, in Christ, in him, in him you have this, in Christ you have this. I'd encourage you to circle it. I already did the math for you. I believe it's some 36 times, it's just in the book of Ephesians, that he uses the phrase, in him. And then in all his books that Paul wrote, it's 160 times that he uses this word, in him. Can I tell you today, more than religion more than showing up to church, more than just reading your Bible and doing Christian things. God wants to have a relationship with you, and it's found in Christ. And so today we're going to discover what that means to be found in Him, in this unity with Him. And so let's keep reading, because I'm going to try to get through some verses today. I can't promise you, but in verse 3, Paul switched from his introduction to a call to worship. Let's see it as a call to worship. Listen to it. He says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blesses us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Notice that reoccurring word, blessed. That's a call to worship. That's a praise. It's good. I should praise this. So I'm blessed be the God. Praise be to God who has blessed me in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And so Paul is showing us here that, that, that how to bless the Lord and how God blesses us. And we're going to see that in just a moment. 
Because from the, from the beginning of time, God had purposed to create an entity in which he would pour out blessings. And we see here that it's spiritual blessings. And that entity in which he, God operates in and pours blessings out in is the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. God wants to operate within the church. And so it is the church that is an unstoppable force. It is the church that Christ builds. It is the church that can withstand everything that the world comes against us because God destined that. He purposed that, that he would, that he would pour out those blessings and that protection and that provision in the church. And so we are that church. And so today I want to talk about, you see the title, The Spiritual Blessings in Christ. The spiritual blessings in Christ. Notice where they're located. He said it's not on earth. It's in heaven. It's in heaven. We've been talking some time about the spiritual realm and, and how there's two, two kingdoms. And we've been talking about all that. But as we continue to see and let the scriptures speak to us, we will realize very quickly the more that as a Christian, we're to operate in a different world. And now by our, our nature, our flesh, our natural minds, we're like, what? This sounds weird. Like, what are you talking about? But there is, a, there is a different kingdom. There is a different place because we are spiritual people. We are spirit before we're flesh. And, and Paul is letting us know that God has blessings for us, spiritual blessings, and they're found in heavenly places. And so I want us to establish that from the jump because we as a people can get so caught up in the, the physical blessings of the Lord that we, we're chasing after those physical blessings that he would provide for me in a tangible way. Maybe it's a, a job, maybe it's a car, maybe it's a refrigerator, whatever it is, and we get caught up in this. And then before too long, we look like the world, chasing wealth and money and status and things. And Paul is reeling us back in and letting us know that, no, 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 the blessings of the Lord, that which God pours out on his people is not found in the natural realm. It, the source comes from the spiritual realm. It's in heaven. And so everything that we have is just a byproduct of those blessings. And so when God does provide for me supernaturally, physically, and tangibly, and those kind of things, that's just a byproduct of a spiritual blessing that God, had, that I, that God poured out on my life. And uh, tithe is an example of that. Tithe doesn't make sense to the world. It does not make sense to take 10% of my income right off the top and, and give it to God and just operate on 90%. The math doesn't make sense that I can do more, have more, be more blessed with 90% than I can 100%. It doesn't make sense up here. But that is a part of a spiritual blessing that we're operating in a different realm, a different kingdom. It's not of this world. And so we are blessed from that. And then the byproduct of that is things last longer here on earth. God opens up doors that nobody else can, uh, can open up. God provides good health in my body. There's all kinds of blessings that come from that, but it started with me operating in the spiritual world and not the natural world and trusting God and, 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 and testing Him, as the Bible says. And so we see these spiritual blessings, and we're going to talk through them today, and, and, and we'll only get to a few of them. Uh, spoiler alert, there's going to be a part two so, uh, of, of chapter one. So we'll, we'll try to cover a few of them today. I'll do my best. Uh, but I, I want us to see that, uh, that he talks about heavenly places. I don't want us to read over that and not understand what it means or, or even know why he said that. I think it's important to, to establish that God is found in the heavenly places and that Christ is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. Okay, so that's this, when we talk about having blessings in heavenly places, that's where God is. 
Okay, so God is, is blessing us with, in, in heavenly places. And so I want us to establish that because uh, we're not humans trying to be more spiritual. We're spirit people trying to be less human. You are a spirit. The Bible talks about how we are spiritual people and, and that we're, we're supposed to live on for eternity to come. We're, that this world is just passing away. It's just a, a small segment. It's just a vapor. So don't think that you are a human trying to be more spiritual. You're already a spirit. You are spiritual trying to be less human. You're trying to be less like this world, okay? And so uh, we see that Paul is, is teaching us these things. And so let's, let's jump in today. Let's see these spiritual blessings. We can see the first one maybe clearly in verse 4 as we continue to read. In verse 4 it says, Even as he chose us in him, there's that word in him, look for those, before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So the first spiritual blessing that we see here is that we are chosen in Christ. We are chosen in Christ. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? That before the foundations of the earth were laid, Christ chose you. Before the earth was formed, he handpicked you. He chose you. Now, now I don't know about you, but when I look at my life, I don't see anything worth choosing. Uh, immediately, my days go back to eighth grade kickball, and I was the last to be chosen. Come on. It's okay. But Christ chose me. In spite of my failures, in spite of, of all the mess, mistakes I've done, he chose me before I even did them, knowing that I would do them. And that is why Paul starts this letter as an act of praise. Because you cannot help but praise God when you think about, he chose me in spite of my mistakes. He chose me even knowing that I was going to mess up, that I was going to fall short of the glory of God. He chose you. He chose us. And this is how all these spiritual blessings get started. We didn't choose him. He chose us. And so since he chose me, I should act differently. I should walk differently, think differently, because I'm chosen by him. I didn't have to earn it. I don't deserve it. He chose me. And so the scripture answers this, but what position have we been chosen for? To be in him. He says he chose you in Christ. So we're chosen, and our position on the team is to be in Christ Jesus. We're chosen not just to, to be with him when we get to heaven. We're chosen to be with him while we're on earth, that you can abide in Christ, that you can remain in him even while you're here on earth. And this changes the game for us. You see, the game doesn't start when we get to heaven. The game is now, and we're on his team. And some would say that it's the fourth quarter, and so it's time to get in the game. We have a job to do. We've been chosen, selected to be a part of God's family. And so he validates that right for you. You don't validate it. You don't earn it. He validates it. And then he even, the scriptures even tell us why. Why he chose us. It says so that you can be holy and blameless. He chose you so that you could be holy and blameless. And you're like, I, I cannot be that. You're right. That's why it's a spiritual blessing. That's why he pours it out on you, because he knows that by yourself you couldn't be that. And so we, we see that we can be holy, we can be blameless when we remain in our position in Christ Jesus. 
when he covers us. The Bible says that Jesus covers a multitude of sin. And so we're in that covering of Christ. And this is, this is so uh, mind-blowing to us. But because he chose us, when God looks at us, he doesn't see me. He sees Christ. Because we're in Christ. And so he, he doesn't see the messed up me, the sinful me. And that's how you can be holy. That's how you can be blameless. And I know this goes against everything that's going on in our minds as we think about our past and our mistakes and even the present that we live in today. We're like, you mean to tell me that God, when he looks at his children, when he looks at me, he doesn't see my mistakes? He doesn't see the sin? He doesn't see the shortcomings? No, no, no. As long as you are in Christ. As long as you are in Christ, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the sacrifice. He sees the sacrifice that he sent his only son because he chose you. He started this. It was his plan. And so he sent Jesus as an example, as a sacrificial lamb that would be slaughtered. He who knew no sin became sin for you. That's what that scripture means. He became sin for you so that when, Christ, when, when God looks on his children, he's not seeing you in your sinful state. He's seeing the blood of Jesus. That's why we sing about it washes me white as snow because when, when Christ died, it covered you. And so as long as you are abiding in him and remaining in him, then he covers you and God sees you. And that's how you can be holy. That's how you can be blameless. Do you see, church, the, the length in which God is willing to go? The extreme measures he takes just so he can say, I chose you. They didn't choose you. I did. That doesn't qualify you. I qualify you. That doesn't validate you. I validate you. You see, we need to know this because the enemy will do everything he can to take your mind off of who you are in Christ and put your mind on who you are in the world. By the world's standards, the natural man, never good enough, didn't get that job, can never please anybody. I, I, I'll, I'll try, 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 and I fail, fail, fail. And God is telling you, no, 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 remain in Christ because I chose you. Don't think that you earned this. We sung about it. He's a good father. It, I'm not good. He's good. And so we must remain in him. And so this is what it looks like when we're in Christ. He doesn't see me. He sees Christ. And this leads into the next the next spiritual blessing that we see here in verse 5. It says, in love, this is what God did, in love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, not mine, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And so the next spiritual blessing is this, that we are adopted in Christ. We are adopted in Christ. Not only did he choose you, but he adopted you. And so this gives you a different status. It's one thing for you to be on the team. It's a different thing for you to be the coach's son. Okay, now growing up playing basketball and playing in different leagues, I hated when the coach's son played on my team because the, the coach's son was never good. I was always better, or at least I thought I was, but the coach's son always started. The coach's son always got more playing time. When the news and the media showed up, the coach's son was the one out there doing it. When you are the coach's son, listen to me, church, you got a different status. Come on, when he puts his name on you, you got a different status. When he puts his name on you, the labels of this world don't stick. Listen to me, when he puts his name on you and your identity changes and you start wearing his name on the back of your jersey, the labels of this world don't matter anymore. 
They can call you whatever they want to call you. you. They can define you however they want to define you. But I am a son and a daughter of the Most High God. He adopted me into the family. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But he chose me anyway. And so I'm a son and a daughter in Christ Jesus. That changes us. When you go and foster or go to adopt, and, and sometimes you get to choose, sometimes, most times you don't. But you, but you get to choose some, uh, yeah, I would like to have a, a, a daughter or a son or, or somebody this age or this age, and I choose them. But there's a different level when you adopt them and they become a part of the family. And that's what Christ is trying to get us to see today, that you have full access to the family, to every spiritual blessing, to every right, to every authority, to everything that God has for his children. You have that same access. So often in our minds, we don't access it, we don't use it, because we think that we're never good enough, that we're not spiritual enough, they're not Christian enough, that so-and-so over here, they're holier than thou, that they've done more, they've been a Christian more, they know their Bible more. And Christ is letting us know, no, I adopted you into the family of Christ. You have been uh, adopted. We've been chosen and adopted. Then, let me try to get to this next one. Verse 7. Verse 7, it says, In him, there's that, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or our sins, according to the riches of his grace. So what's this third spiritual blessing we see? We see that we are redeemed in Christ. We are redeemed in Christ. God in his love for us had a desire to be reunited with his children. And so because of sin, because of the fall of man, it separated us from God, right? We've learned about this a few months back, that sin separates us from God. But redemption reunites us with him. That he set a plan into motion to redeem us back to himself. And that's why we have parables like the, that of the prodigal son who went away and he spent all his wealth. He spent all his inheritance. And the Bible says that he, he was eating with the pigs, living with the pigs, and he came to his senses. He woke up one day. And he turned and he ran back to the Father. What was he doing? He was being reunited with the Father. He was being redeemed to the Father. Can I tell you today that that is God's desire for your life, that you would be redeemed. Redeemed literally means to be bought, to pay a ransom. That he paid a ransom for your life. That because of sin, there was a price tag on you. There was a price that had to be paid. There was a death that had to die. And we've already discovered today that Jesus laid down his life. He said, no greater love has one than this, that you should lay your life down for your friend. And, and Jesus laid his life down for us so that you could be redeemed back to God, that God wants to redeem you. And the purpose of this blessing that we see is the forgiveness of sin, that he can forgive you of sin he wants to be restored remember he's a holy god and he can't be around sin and so he he covers us with jesus christ with the blood of jesus he adopts us into that family and so that we can easily be redeemed back into him today for most of us if we're being honest the reason that we come to church the reason that we read our Bibles, the reason that we pray is because deep down inside of our spirits, it longs to be united with our Creator. We long to be face-to-face -face as we sung. Even those in this moment right now that you feel far from God. You, you feel like you're distant and you don't feel His presence and you don't talk to Him and you feel like He's silent. You're in this place today 
as an act of faith to be redeemed, to be close, to be reunited back with Him. And I believe today that God's going to meet that need, that He's going to pour out that blessing, that you're going to understand that I have been redeemed, I've been chosen, I've been adopted. And so we see that, that this purpose is to provide this forgiveness of sin and that redemption will restore me back to, to Jesus. I love what Romans 5, 8 says. It says, but God. There's a lot of but gods in Ephesians. We'll, we'll, we'll preach those later. But God demonstrated his own love. His love. Not anybody else's. His love for me. This is how he did it. While we were yet sinners, he died. Christ died for me. That's that redemption. That's that price that had to be paid. So while I was dead in my sin, Christ died for my sin. When Christ rose from the grave and had new life, I then now have new life. And it's not found in anything else. It's not found in anything the world has to offer. It's not found in the stars. It's found in Christ Jesus. You can have new life in Christ. The Bible says, behold, all things are made new in the presence of God. And so I can be restored back to him. I also love what 2 Timothy says. 2 Timothy 1.9 says that he saved us and called us to a holy life, not an easy life, not a convenient life, not a problem-free life, not a blessed life, to a holy life. That means I act different than the world. That means I operate different than the world. That means I think different than this world. And so he saved me. He called me to a holy life, not because of anything I've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Grace means unmerited favor. We'll talk about it next week. Because of his grace, this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus. Notice there's in Christ before the beginning of time. So before God spoke and created, he chose you. Before God spoke and created, he thought about you. Not only that, he saw you. Not as perfect because Christ hadn't died yet. He knew that you would mess up. He saw your sins. He saw your mistakes. And in love for you, he said, the only thing that will satisfy is for me to send my son that now sits at the right hand. I'm, I'm going to give him over. And he's going to be beaten and persecuted. People are going to say he's crazy. People are going to say that he's a worshiper of the devil. They're going to laugh in his face and pull his beard. But this is how much I love you. I love you this much that I want to be with you. So that's redemption. That's his grace. That's his purpose. We're going to end there today. And I'll give you the next blank next week. All you type A people will be antsy. <laughs> next week we will, we will talk about four more spiritual blessings in Christ. But I want to park here because I, I believe that Today in this house, for the very first time, you are realizing that God chose me. He chose me. That not only did he choose me, he adopted me. That means that I am one of his, that I'm no longer an outsider. The early church, as they read this book, this was a church full of, of Gentiles. They had heard the Old Testament. They had heard the stories of the, of the Jews and how God was going to pour out his blessing on the Jews but in that moment right there, they realize that I get to be a part of that, that I'm no longer in exile. That's why 
Paul would write that there's no longer slave or free or Jew or Gentile. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. It does not matter how far gone you feel. It doesn't matter how silent you think God is in this moment. It doesn't matter how far you feel he is from you. He chose you and he adopted you and he redeemed you back to himself. And just like the prodigal son, today's the day that we come to our senses and we realize what a family we get to be a part of. What a blessing it is to be a part of the church, to be a part of the body of Christ. That God does have a plan for my life. And you come and you run back to the Father. And so this is the moment in our service where we move into a time of reflection. If you take a moment and you bow your heads, close your eyes, whatever you need to do to open your heart to the Holy Spirit, in this moment right here, we're going to just allow you to do business with God. To let the Holy Spirit convict you, comfort you. And as you're doing that, I want to talk to a couple people in the house today. You're here today, and if you're being honest with yourself, honest before God, you would say this. That I've never given, I've never submitted my life over to Christ. I've never confessed my sins, repented of those sins, and now live a life that's worthy of Him. I'm not found in Christ. I'm still found in Ephesus. I'm found in this world. But today I want to be known as the saint who's in Ephesus, but also faithful in Christ Jesus. And you're here today and you want to give your life over to Him. Everybody's heads are bowed, their eyes are closed. I want to just have you take a bold step of faith because if you don't move in this moment, if you don't do something in this moment, the enemy will swoop in and try to snuff out your faith. And so as your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, you're saying, I'm giving my life to Christ today. That's me. Would you lift up your hand as bold as you can and say, I'm giving my life to Jesus today. Today's my day that I'm adopted into the family of Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Secondly is this, maybe you're here today and, and, and you have come back into this moment because you want a relationship with Christ like you used to have. You want to be reunited with Him. You once were with Him and you veered off the path. You've let Ephesus, you've let the culture stray you away. And today's the day that you want to come back into the family of Christ. Today, by the Holy Spirit, you feel Him drawing you in and you want to rededicate your life to Christ. Would you join those that lifted their hands? Would you lift your hands to the Lord today? And say, I want to rededicate my life to Jesus today. Today's my day. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand. Yes. Anybody else? Today's the day I give my life to Christ. Yes. Yes. You can put them down. As quietly as we can all over this house, would everybody just stand to your feet? We move from a time of reflection to a time of response. And this is the time in our service where our prayer team who have been selected and qualified and equipped. They are on the, the outer walls here, on the edges here. They're, they're making their way right now. If you lifted your hands, or maybe you needed to, but today's the day you're making a decision for Christ, don't just stay in your seats. You've got to tell somebody. Raising your hand does not save you. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so... The, I would encourage you today to tell somebody, tell these prayer workers. And not only that, they have a Bible. They have a new believer's God they want to give you. 
And beyond that, if you have a need in the house, they want to pray with you. No matter what it is, this is the moment that we get to respond to what God's doing. We respond by worshiping. We respond by praying or maybe finding a place in the altar. But let's take a moment. Let's pray before we go back into worship. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that's moving in this house. And Father, we're going to be people of faith today. We're going to be people of boldness today. And we're going to respond to what the work that you're doing in our life. God, I'm not just going to be a hearer of the word. I'm going to be a doer of the word. And so, Father, today is the day that I'm going to worship you as a new creation in Christ, in spirit and in truth. And I thank you, God, that you are good. Though I am bad, you remain faithful. Though I am inadequate, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are a good Father, and I'm going to worship you by faith, declaring that that is who you are. And it is in Jesus' name that I pray. Come on, church, can you say amen?